each child can tolerate a different amount of change or flexibility. So some children, babies or child are super go with the flow. Like they can adapt to changes in the routine and other children are, are the opposite and really don't do well with much change. Hi, I'm Sarah Kuhn. Welcome to the Juno Women Podcast, where I sit down for candid conversations with women who are experts in their field and share their specific knowledge so that we can become better equipped to handle all things motherhood. Juno Women is an extension of Juna, a fitness and nutrition app created to help guide you through your trying to conceive, pregnancy, and motherhood journey. Everything we do at Juna is designed to empower and support you through one of the most incredible and challenging times of your life. On today's episode, I'm talking with Jessica Irwin. Jessica is a pediatric occupational therapist and founder of The Rooted Routine, which is an online parent education and coaching platform with the goal of teaching parents how to help children thrive through routine and structure. Jessica shares why she believes so strongly in the power of routine and how the key to a happy and healthy child is something we as parents can control. I learned so much from Jessica and hope you will do the same. Let's get to it. Jessica, I am so excited to have you on the podcast today, so thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Why don't you start by introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about you, what you do, how you got here, and you can tell us a little bit about your family. My name is Jessica Irwin. I am the founder of Rooted in Routine. I'm also a pediatric occupational therapist, and I am a first-time mom to an eight-month-old boy named Jack. And so a little bit about me professionally, I went to undergrad for kinesiology for movement science. And then I went to graduate school to get my master's in occupational therapy at Columbia in New York City. And then I worked in pediatrics my whole professional career. So I've worked with children in various settings, preschools, elementary schools, private clinics, early intervention, home health, all with children. And these children, they were in therapy, so they had developmental delays and medical diagnoses and that sort. But I really became passionate over the years about educating parents and working with the parent as well as the child. And in, let's see, in late 2019, which was actually just right before the pandemic and also (laughs) right before I got pregnant, I decided to create a social media account called Rooted in Routine just to help educate parents on the concept of routines for children, because I found they were so powerful in all of the families and children I worked with throughout my career. And I just started as wanting a a place to create content and educate parents and families about this concept. And it took a path of its own. Um, Shortly after that, I got pregnant or I found out I was pregnant. And then two months later, the pandemic hit. And I realized that there was a lot going on with parents at home, parents being home now with their children. And the the concept of how can we facilitate routines in this crazy world we're currently living in and how can I simplify it down and empower parents to feel really, really educated and knowledgeable in how to set their children up for success at home. That's where it took me. So now I I officially have a business for Mm -hmm. Rooted in Routine. It is a virtual, like an online education, parent education business that I provide group services. And I'm currently working on a lot of digital download guides and things like that to help educate parents on routines for babies and children. 
Very exciting stuff. It's funny how you're like, and it's finally a business. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It just started as social, an Instagram account, but I'm super passionate about it. And I found my community and it's continuing to grow. And now I I really want to just keep growing it. That's awesome. So why don't you start by defining what you mean by routine? What is a routine and what is it not? Yes, good question. So I define routine as completing the same set of steps in the same order within the same context or environment from day to day. Routines are not just for children. Of course, adults have routines and we benefit from them as well. Mm -hmm. But for babies and children, it's not just the schedule, like the time that things happen. I think there's a lot of talk in the baby world and the children world about schedules, like baby's sleep schedule, baby's eating schedule and things like that. But really a routine is that the time on the clock is just one aspect of a routine. So a routine is how all these things happen. And I liked to kind of for children, I like to break it down into what I call my non-negotiables. And those are those basic parts of your child's day that individually each have a routine. So a set of steps that typically happen in the same order. And then those non-negotiables make up your child's full daily routine. And those areas are morning time, nap time and bedtime, meal times, and then play time, which also includes outdoor time. So if you think about all those pieces, I like for each of those, I like to teach that each of those has those predictable steps that typically happen in the same order throughout the day. And then when you take all of those combined, you get your child's day. And then I should say that the, the what makes a routine powerful is the consistency and the predictability to it. And those two things are super, super powerful for children. The consistency, so when things happen similarly from one from time to time, and then predictability, your child knowing and learning what to expect. And so that it's not a surprise how things tend to go from day to day. Can you talk about the difference between what a routine might mean for a baby versus what a routine might mean for a toddler? Yes. So there's actually a good amount of research on routines for babies and children, particularly the toddler and the preschool years. But overall, there's tons of positive effects. And there's actually a lot of research, particularly on bedtime routines, and we can talk about that in Mm -hmm. a bit. Routines in general, just that sense of predictability and consistency. So when a child, and I believe a baby, it's harder to study that just because the ba- and there are ways to, and I'm not a scientist, <laughs> but it's harder to know whether how a, a baby's reaction, reacting when they're not quite verbal yet. But in general, when a child knows what's coming next, it actually lowers their stress response. And so some of those hormones that are connected to stress and anxiety, like cortisol, will actually lower when the child knows how what is coming next in their day and children really do crave this predictability and toddlers specifically crave it a lot i think for parents out there who have a toddler and i define a toddler as age one so 12 ish months to around age uh three and then i typically say three to five is a preschool toddlers specifically really 
crave that predictability, even though they often pretend or act like they <laughs> sure you can agree. There's also some research out there that it actually that routines and having them be consistent in your home will decrease some of those behavioral struggles that we see, particularly in the toddler and the preschool years. So as I was saying, toddlers will push your buttons and they will ask or push for something specific. How you respond and keeping that consistency actually makes them feel safe because then they learn that they're in a safe place and that the rules, and that, that can mean a lot of things, but the mm-hmm. rules don't change from day to day and that's scary for them. Um, and so that's, those are some of the benefits for the, the toddler in the preschool years. For babies, it's really just about starting it young. There is some research on babies having that predictable nap time and bedtime routines that cues their bodies for sleep. And then overall, babies are just similar to toddlers and children that they do start to crave that predictability and they can learn. They know a lot more than we think. They'll learn to associate environmental cues or verbal cues with what's coming next in their routine. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That's, it's so true. I think, I think I always think about when things are the easiest for us, it's like when we are like flowing with the like normal things that we usually do. And it's like when our kids are the worst (laughs) behaved, it's like when we're just like flying by the seat of our pants. Yes. And I was just going to mention the, that there's also benefits of routines for the parent, Mm -hmm. benefits parents, parents creating routines for children, but it also benefits you because what you're saying When we have to think so much day to day and make decisions and choices all day long, which we already do as parents, it just makes our mental load that much higher. So the more we can create these kind of like automatic processes where you don't really have to think as much, the better for yourself. And really, I truly believe that you can build in all of the learning opportunities that your child will ever need into these day-to-day tasks, day-to-day routines, so that you're not feeling pressured to add in anything extra, if that makes sense. I know as a new mom, especially in a pandemic, I don't have time to plan all these activities. I want my son to just learn day-to-day stuff during day-to-day routines. And I truly believe that's possible if you're setting up the routines appropriately. And what can I add into the mealtime to make this more of a learning opportunity? Or how can I structure his playtime so that he's learning and it's not like super stressful for me? So I love that piece too. So I want to I want to get into that, but let's so let's start at the newborn routine. What does that look like, and what are my like opportunities for building and learning? Yes. So I do want to say that I am not a newborn. I was never a newborn and baby expert, and actually, <laughs> my professional expertise was in the toddler preschooler and and elementary school age range. But then when I became pregnant and had my own baby, I really became passionate about newborns and babies as well. It's a little bit newer for me. And newborns are their own. Their own beast. (laughs) Yes, totally. (laughs) But generally for newborns, it's tricky because I don't want to pressure any new mom to feel like they have to stick to this perfect routine from the get-go because that's just not how it works. I like to say newborns come out like a clean slate. So you can really, whatever you do and whatever structure you provide is great. And you're kind of, you're molding it from the beginning. The number one tip I do have for a newborn routine is to start from the very first day 
to establish that day versus night um, confusion or to yeah. get rid of that day, day night versus night confusion. Yes. Right. And you can do that with the routines that you set up. Light is super important those first few weeks and then forever, but getting natural daylight and sunlight into the whatever time your morning is really powerful. If you can't get outside for a minute, then just stand by a window. When Jack was a newborn, I would, you know, drag myself out of bed because I'm so exhausted and make sure after I fed him just to stand by the window for one minute and look out the window together. And then as night comes, whatever time bedtime happens to be, start to dim the lights and just use light to your advantage because that can be huge in setting up the newborn's brain and body to understand daily rhythms of night and day. And then the other one is and I'm not an expert in this area, but that kind of eat, play, sleep routine that babies tend to get into. And you can order that however you like. I think establishing good feeds and then getting into a rhythm with naps, including paying attention to how long a newborn should be awake before they mm-hmm. should go back to sleep for a nap during the day is that's work. That's enough work in itself to last you like a month or two. Totally. So yeah, I'm not a newborn sleep expert. Be- newborns really only could tolerate being awake for 30 to 45 minutes at a time, which is crazy. So that takes up, that's your whole day there. (laughs) I know. I, the, one of the routines that we did when we had a newborn was like, we always, obviously he was going down for a nap or she was going down for a nap all the time, Mm -hmm. but we would take them out of their swaddle when they woke up. And then before like right before they were going to bed, we'd put them back in their swaddle. It was like, just this is the cue. Mm-hmm. We're now awake. You're out of your swaddle. And then you're getting back in your swaddle. This is when you're going to sleep. And yeah. so I, I think the point is like routines can look really simple. It can be something as one or two steps just to indicate to your baby what we're doing now. Yes, totally. Another really good one I like for that newborn stage, and you can continue this, is Every time you change their diaper, which is going to be a lot, and they're usually na- they're naked, so their mm-hmm. body's free, is to just flip them onto their tummy on the changing table or even on the floor or wherever you're doing it for five to 10 seconds before you pick them back up. And this helps you get that tummy time in that everyone's talking about when I found there was no time to do tummy time. And so doing it as part of the diaper change routine slips it in there and makes it really easy. Totally. And then they also just tend to start to expect it. Exactly. Oh, this is this is rather than just being miserable, right? Yes. Like yes. So as like all right, the newborn stage obviously only lasts so long. It's way too short, <laughs> though for some way too long. How do you indicate to your baby who's gotten used to your routines? Like how do you like indicate, okay, like we're shifting things up and this is our new routine and how long does it take them to sink into a new routine? Yeah, I find that babies are super adaptable. So as the newborn stage ends and what really changes there is that there's more predictability to, again, night versus day. Hopefully they're sleeping a little bit longer stretches at night. Mm -hmm. And then during the day, they're awake for longer at one time. So you have the time and you to do more in their routine and you have to just because they're awake. They will adapt to really whatever you provide for them. And so that's really where I love educating parents because the parents will ask me, okay, what do I do with my baby who's let's say four or five months old and now they're awake for 
oh, we already fed them and they're awake for an hour and what do I do? And there's that play time that I like to educate parents that it does not have to be complicated. I always push for more floor time to fill up that play time or that awake time. And then really just, there's not much more else to it until your baby starts solids and then mealtimes become a a part of your day-to-day routine. So that's typically around, it's very, it varies depending on the baby and the recommendation of the pediatrician, but usually between four to six months, I actually personally waited closer to six. And yeah. then that takes up, then your day shifts around to accommodate and that the meal time becomes a super important part of a baby's routine, especially as you start to add meals. So you typically, you start with one time a day and then you move to two and then eventually three by around nine months old. Yeah. Oh my God. I know we're we're at three meals a day now. And I'm like, oh, I miss the days where I was just nursing. (laughs) Yeah, I I agree. I've found, so we're at two, but I'm like dragging my feet to start three. Jack's eight months old now because it's just a lot of work, but I'm like, oh, it's just easier to like when you just have to feed them. But it does really like naturally though, create this like really beautiful predictability to the day because there's, then there's naps, your meal times your feeds, and in between that, there's play, and that's really it. We're going to take a quick break so I can tell you about the Juna app, which is the app that makes this podcast possible. Juna is the only pregnancy and postpartum fitness and nutrition app with more than 200 pregnancy and postpartum safe workouts. The app also includes a key nutrient to focus on every week. For example, in week 16, Juna recommends vitamin C because vitamin C supports healthy lung development and it boosts immunity and it lowers the risk of developing preeclampsia. From there, we give you delicious recipes that help you get that exact nutrient in your life both quickly and easily. Juna also includes daily diaphragmatic breathing exercises as well as pelvic floor prep to keep things intact before and after labor. We also provide you daily tips to get you through each stage of your pregnancy and are constantly adding more to the experience. Lastly, every week there is a note from me that is relevant to the exact things you're experiencing. These are so helpful for easing any fears you may have as well as preventing gestational Google mania, the sickness where you can't stop Googling every little thing that happens during pregnancy. You can find the app by searching Juna in the iOS app store or visiting juna.co. And the best part is when you enter your due date or baby's birthday for postpartum, the app will automatically place you exactly where you're supposed to be. As a Juno Women podcast listener, we are offering you your first 30 days free. This deal is only available through our website. Go to juna.co, and when you get to the credit card page, use coupon code JUNAPOD, all in caps. Again, that is J-U-N-A-P-O-D, all in caps. Now, back to the show. Yeah, why don't you walk me through Jack's day, like an eight-month-old's day. Tell me all the things you do. Sure. So he, and I can include general times if you want, but these aren't, so no, these it's aren't. No, right. yeah. Okay. <laughs> It'll be different for every baby, right? Yeah, that's true. Okay. So we, he wakes up and uh, we change his diaper and I always stand by the window, even to this day for a couple minutes before we feed him just to get that natural light. And then I feed him, we're bottle feeding now. So I feed him his bottle and then he is 
plopped on the ground for about 30 minutes to hang with dad while I get myself ready for the day. And then we, about an hour after he has his bottle, we do breakfast. And I'm a big believer in if you can, for at least one meal a day, eat with your baby. So Mm -hmm. I use breakfast as that opportunity to eat with him. Sometimes my husband eats with us as well. Sometimes he can't. And so we eat breakfast together. And then about 30 to 30 minutes to an hour after that, he goes down for a nap one. He's on two naps now, finally. Thank goodness. (laughs) He takes his first nap and then there's another feed when he wakes. And then we have, this is the part of the day where I feel like there's the most flexibility. So we can either just hang out. We can do an activity in the middle of the day. We can, I can take him out, maybe some errands. I make sure that he gets a lot of floor play and we're working towards independent play. But I've found that this age is actually harder than it used to be for him to entertain himself because he's way more aware of me and whether I'm with him or running into the kitchen to do something. So that's been tricky. Is he crawling yet? (laughs) He is not crawling yet. And I'm actually not too, I'm I'm like, I know it'll just get harder when he is. (laughs) Oh, I'm like, enjoy it. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I'm going to walk you through my, when you're done with it, I'm going to walk you through my 10 month old day because I just, but yeah, go, go, keep going. I have to say I have one, I know I have one child and I know when you have more than one, it totally, it's just so much harder and it changes. So I don't want people to feel bad if they feel (laughs) multiple children. It's just, it's just harder. Yes. Anyway. Okay. So we're back to the middle of the day. Yeah. He has, let's see, he feeds again before nap two. So he feeds, put him down for a second nap, which is still short. And I'm crossing my fingers here, hoping it lengthens. We were short (laughs) nap. He was the king of cat naps. And then let's see, wakes up, feeds again. We do dinner after that, usually around like 536. And I try, sometimes I eat with him. Sometimes I'm like, I'm just not hungry yet. I I sit with him if I can and eat a little bit. And then we really just start bedtime after that around like 6.30. And bedtime routine includes sometimes, doesn't always include a bath, but most days it includes a bath. And then we go right into our bedtime routine and he's sleeps. (laughs) It sounds really simple. No, (laughs) it's because, yeah, because those within those things, there's just so much. And especially Mm -hmm. with for an eight month old, like the attention span, Mm -hmm. like it's not like each activity that you do, they'll have 45 minutes of some things are literally two and a half minutes long. And you're like, okay, now I've got to introduce something else. (laughs) What can we do? I, I, I'm going to go through my day just because this will be, this is three kids. I have a 10 month old, a two and a half year old. Actually, she means she's almost three, and then a four and a half year old. And so we wake up at 5 40. My youngest is crying. And if my daughter hasn't gotten out of her bed and come into our room to tell us that her light is not green yet, but she'd still like come out. She, she does oh my that, but her light is not green, so I have to walk her back into her room, and I have a little bit of a fight with her about the fact that she has to stay in her mm-hmm. room until the light is green. <laughs> then I go into Levi's room. I nurse him, and then Kyla eventually hears us and says, but everybody else is up, so I'm going to come out even though my light's not green. So, what time does her light turn green? Her light turns green at 6.30. Okay. She never makes it to 6.30. And if I – like the the war is – I she's going to – she shares a room with her older brother if, you know, 
how many kids is she going to wake up with this meltdown? And so, <laughs> so it's a harder rule yeah. to enforce. And then the three of us, so me, Kyla, and Levi all go downstairs. We eat breakfast. So I get the two of them breakfast. I'll have a coffee. And then we play, I'll go back up to the playroom. We play, we do floor time. Levi is now he's at 10 months. He's like much better at independent play and he can Mm -hmm. get anywhere he wants to go. And so I can't look away for a minute. (laughs) So independent play is not as easy for me because like I, I still have to be there to make sure that he is not climbing up onto the, there's, and on anything he can climb on, he's yeah. then I we get the at some point Luca wakes up and we get them out the door. We take them to school. Levi comes with us on that, and I think like it's his naps have gotten so much better as like his consistent morning routine, which is like we eat, we then get the kids ready. He comes in the stroller with us. We drop the kids off at school. We come back, and he goes down at at nine. Mm-hmm. He'll nap for two hours when that's his morning. But if he's woken up really early, some part of me is I need to like he's been up for so long. I'm gonna put mm-hmm. him down at eight fifteen, eight ten, and then I'll take the kids to school while my husband's still here. And he'll only nap for forty five minutes when that happens. And it's just it's so interesting like how the the consistency of a schedule or routine mm-hmm. helps lengthen those naps for us. And then the kids are in school all day while I'm at work. And usually we have a nanny who then when he gets up at 11, they go to the park, they come back, they eat lunch at 1230. Then at you know 130, he goes down for his second nap. He usually wakes up around three there's more play and then they go and pick up the kids from school. And then we're into dinner. Everyone eats together at 530. We we used to, when we had one kid, we used to eat dinner after we put our son down. And even when we had two kids, we would eat after we put the kids down just because they would they were down at 7 or 6.37 because they – Kylo was a early bedtime person and Luca dropped his nap so he needed to go to bed early too. But we – now that it feels like – it's like we get one kid down, then there's two more to get down, then we get one more down, and then there's one more kid to get down. And by the time all three kids are in bed, it's 8.15, and I can't eat dinner at 8.15. Totally. <laughs> We've moved our dinner. Like everything is at the shift like when we eat during the day because to like line up so that we're hungry at 5.30. I it's think like- that's actually healthy for adults. It's just uh-huh. not culturally. It depends. Some people think that's early, but I, I could get down with an early dinner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's necessity at this point. Yep. And yep. I actually, I do like it because then I like I'm done at, by 8.15 after the, and dinner is like a complete assault like dinner bath bed is just three hours of intense non-stop like between like meltdowns just just and just the noise it's not even the meltdowns because I that's not that terrible but it's mm-hmm. just the like two kids who are talking over each other mm-hmm. and then another kid who's just screaming over the other two because he wants to be heard it's like it's just a horror show and then 8 15 rolls around and my husband and I our routine is we just plop on the couch and we're like okay shit's creepy here we come so it's it is interesting though because I think that the routines that we have set up throughout our day are what give us some semblance of sanity and then like weekends I think are significantly harder Mm -hmm. just because we are trying to provide the kids like more flexibility in their day and with that flexibility you get out of your routine at least we have weekends are (laughs) 
that is very typical that weekends are harder for the parent and for the child, even though it's from the outside looking in, you'd think it'd be more fun. There's more opportunities to do things, but it, it makes it harder. So there is a fine balance of allowing that flexibility and that's okay. And, and I also will say that each child can tolerate a different amount of change or flexibility. So some children, babies or child are super go with the flow. Like they can adapt to changes in the routine. It doesn't really mess things up or set them back. And other children are, are the opposite and really don't do well with much change. That doesn't mean there can't be some flexibility on the weekends, but it's just good information for you as a parent to know and to keep track of patterns just so that if anything, you can even just alter your expectations for how something might go if there is a change. I don't know about you guys, but eating healthy foods in the first trimester of pregnancy seemed like an impossible feat. That's why I started ordering Bump and Blend Smoothie Cubes. These smoothies were absolutely life-saving for my first try symptoms of constipation and nausea. Made by a mom, a friend of mine, these super easy smoothie cubes are designed by dietitians to support common pregnancy symptoms like mine, but also to support mama woes like mood swings and anxiety, low energy, and trouble sleeping, and many, many more. All you have to do is pop the bump and blends into your blender, add liquid, and enjoy a delicious smoothie made just for you. They have over 20 flavors, so I never got bored of them, and are made with 100% all-natural, whole, real foods, so they're safe to share with your kiddos and even your babies. However, I used to make my smoothies when the kids were in school, so I didn't have to share, but that's just me. You do you. Seriously, their vegan cookie dough flavor, I made the mistake of letting my daughter eat once, and I couldn't open the freezer around her without her demanding them. So buyer beware. They were nice enough to pass along a special discount for our listeners. You can use the code J-U-N-A at checkout to save on your first order at bumpandblends.com. Again, head to bumpandblends.com and use the code J-U-N-A to get 20% off your first order. So what is, do you have a sample nap routine that you like to recommend? Yes. So typically for nap routines, we like to say that they are just shortened versions of your bedtime routine. So it depends what your bedtime routine, but, and they typically don't include a bath or anything mm -hmm. big like that, of course. So a really simple nap time routine could be a diaper change, a sleep sack, or some sort of physical cue to your baby or your toddler um, babies, as we've mentioned this before, but putting on something new clothing wise is a huge, is a cue to their brain that nap and sleep is coming. So diaper change, sleep sack, white noise machine on if you're using one. I like to include a either a song or a quick book if possible, and then down for nap. So really simple. And that does not have to be yours. That's just one example. Yeah, and that, that's, I feel like that's exactly ours. What, <laughs> people. Yeah, exactly. And what about – so I think like – a bedtime routine is pretty much that too. In most cases, I'm sure a lot of people yeah. have a bath, which we do too. Now, one of my questions though is that do you have any tips or advice for making those – doing all those things is easy, but there's like still – and now I'm specifically talking about toddlers who mm -hmm. are savages, especially yep. at bedtime. <laughs> like, yep. And they're trying to prolong it or all of a sudden they get this massive burst of energy. So do you have any tips for implementing something that will help manage that? 
Yeah, I have a few tips for that. So first of all, it's important to know that's very normal in those toddler and even early preschooler years. And that's because typically it's because your child, and this is not to make anybody feel bad, but your child wants to be with you. They want to be close to you and spend time with you. And they know now that when bedtime comes, that means that they're going to now be separated and separated from you for the longest period of time in the day, right? Like in a 24 hour period while they're sleeping. So most children will start to resist this. They're going to push. And the way they do that is that they're stalling. They're going to ask for something. They want to make it longer. They want to read more books. They need a drink of water. They start to get those sillies. And, and a lot of times this is simply them communicating to you that they want to spend more time with you. Now, that does not mean that you have to like allow all of this to happen or continue or go with it. And what makes it hard is that it's a time of day that you're the most exhausted. Yeah. So it's a very hard time of day. One thing I recommend before, before bedtime even starts, and this may not be possible for someone like you who has three children, and I'm not sure it's dependent on you and your partner and like how your nighttime availability is like, but spending like even five to 10 minutes of one-to-one play uninterrupted with one child at a time before bedtime starts can be super helpful. It kind of like fills their cup, if that makes yeah. sense. Yep. Now that might be really hard for you. I don't know. It's it, Of course, it's easier with one child and then gets harder as you add, but that can be really helpful. And that's actually really helpful for babies too, even if you feel like they're too young. So that can be helpful. And then once bedtime does start, keeping it consistent despite all of the like the pushback or the resistance and not giving in to some of those like stalling requests or change requests actually will help your child learn that this is just how bedtime goes. Now, it's way easier said than done, I know. But for example, if your child one night like asks for an extra book, I would recommend that you hold the boundary on however many books you typically read. And you maybe the next morning, you can tell them if you're okay with changing that, then you tell them in advance that it's going to change, if that makes sense. Because when the change happens in the moment, it's very confusing for them. And then the next night, they're likely to just ask for something else. Yeah, Um, yeah. And then one more thing that can be huge for a lot of children are adding in visuals. So in in the toddler and the preschool years, a lot of times the verbal information of them, so like when we just speak to them with our words, can be really overwhelming, especially in the bedtime process when there's just a lot going on. So having a chart or some sort of list of what bedtime looks can be really powerful. And you can just write it down, like literally just take a piece of paper and write down a list of the five steps that are gonna happen and bring that piece of paper into the bedroom with you. So that anytime you start to veer off track, you're using the paper, you're like blaming the paper Mm -hmm. (laughs) for what's happening next and not, it's not you. And then there's also lots of cool products out there that make more more interesting to look at, like bedtime routine charts and things like that. And I'm actually working on kind of something with that. Oh, good. Yeah. And then let's see. The the one other tip I have for the bedtime process is using timers. So using like a visual timer, whether that's on your phone or again, using like another product that 
also is used to signify to your child when something ends and when something else starts. So let's say bath time. If your child doesn't want to go to the bath, you're setting a timer. Or if they, you're, you're agreeing, if they don't even want to start the bedtime process to begin with, you're setting a timer to know that when the timer goes off, it starts. And that's another way to take the, the blame off of you and put it on something else. Yeah, it's funny. I always defer to exactly. <laughs> Siri, sorry, Siri's saying time's up. Time is up. Perfect. <laughs> or Alexa. <laughs> Whatever, depending on the room that we're in. Um, now, my last question is around the kind of the transitions. Do you have any tips for when you navigated the three to two nap transition? Yeah. So for us, it was looking back, I, I feel like I should have actually done it sooner. And that's because I mentioned before, Jack was a kind of serial cat napper and he was like that from the beginning. He napped longer as a newborn, but I'd say from 12 weeks on, he was cat napping, meaning 35 minutes on the dot were his naps. And so he was still on three 35 minute naps when he was on three naps. And the only thing that actually helped us get him to nap longer was to actually extend his awake time. So he, what I, you know, and what I was told kind of filled up his tired cup more enough to to nap longer. So for us, it was actually fairly easy because Jack just doesn't tend to be the baby that gets overtired. If anything, I feel like I was putting him down undertired because Mm. I was so scared of him being overtired from everything I know about Right. sleep, which just goes to show that every baby really is so different. He happens to fall on the high end of like awake time suggestions. My good friend has a baby one day apart from born one day after mine. And her baby is the total opposite. He napped long and couldn't tolerate being awake for much longer to go to two naps. So it's really individualized. But for us, we cold turkey did it one day and never looked back. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like the three to two is my favorite transition. <laughs> Because your life opens up yes. a little bit. And now, and I think the challenge with when you have multiples is you really want to make sure that you have naps lining up. Yep. <laughs> because You'll there's nothing. Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, there's, I like, I'm, I need a break. I need rest. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. But yeah, that three to two, one, you're just like, okay, here we go. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I agree. I like it a lot so far. It adds that structure to our day, but doesn't tie us down, tie us to be home like Mm -hmm. all day. So it's going so far. We'll see. Good. I hope he stretches out that afternoon nap for you. Anything else that you want to add you think would be worth our listeners hearing? Let's see. I want to just circle back to the bedtime piece for one one minute because I meant to say that I do So I acknowledge that bedtime is a huge stressor for a lot of parents. And because of that, I run a group program called By Bedtime Battles. And I actually run it with a friend of mine who's a certified infant and child sleep consultant. And it is a program geared towards toddlers and preschoolers who are showing a lot of the signs that you mentioned before. And so we are actually planning to run another round of that in July. It hasn't been announced officially yet, but you guys will be the first to know. That and a bunch of other programs in the works. But I just want to say that I, a lot of times I will get parents asking me in general, is it okay if, in regards to their child's routine? And that question, is it okay if, 
So my answer is always going to be, if it's working for you and it's working for your child, then yes, of course it's okay. For example, again, and I'm not a baby sleep expert, but is it okay to rock my baby to sleep? Of course it's okay if it's working for you and you like it. There's nothing that is set in stone when I teach about baby and child routines. It's really just, I want to provide a guide, like a starting place, if you feel like you want guidance or if something isn't working for you anymore as a parent, where, how, or where can you go about changing it? But there's so much like stress these days, especially this past year with being a parent. And so I just want to take that pressure off because, you know, we all do this a little bit differently and I think that's okay. Yeah. I, I love that. It's, it's also because we all have different kids too. And like trusting your mama gut and instincts is something that I think we've gotten a little too far away from. Like it's, totally it's like you just want to follow something to a T because like someone told you to or you read it and it's like there's room for flexibility, which is why I like the fact that you use the word routine instead of schedules because schedules just feel so rigid and um, and it's just different. Yeah, totally. I, I totally agree with that mama gut. I personally, I remember though at the beginning being like, where is that mama gut everyone <laughs> talked about? But I think it's like a muscle. Like the more you work it, work it out, the stronger it gets. And also just with experience. So you're on your third. I'm sure you have that more and more, yes, more than I, I do. I was actually going to say with my first kid, I followed books to the T. I was like, oh, this is how you how we're gonna we're gonna handle sleep because I read this and this is how and I like didn't deviate at all. And with each subsequent kid, I've deviated a lot to instinct and to like and to experience. Not everyone you just don't you don't have that with your first kid. And and like I think that's why people like you and me and lots of other experts in the space are trying to be helpful by providing lots of information, but ultimately it comes with flexing the muscle and and trusting yourself. Yes. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This was super helpful and it was very fun. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. Okay, that's all for today. If you liked today's episode, please share it with a mama friend and leave us a review. If you're pregnant, postpartum, or trying to conceive, you can download the Juna app completely free for seven days. The app is available for iOS and Android and is designed to be your guide for all things health and fitness for this very special time of your life. If you have any suggestions for episodes you would like to hear or anyone you think would be a great guest on the show, please email me directly at sarah at Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next week.